Because at this time, we let the kids head back to Children's Church. If you have a little one from nursery all the way up to second grade, they can head back to Children's Church or nursery. Um, They are also always welcome to stay here and, and get into the Word with us this morning. As we mentioned last week, during the Christmas season, our church is is celebrating and focusing on this idea that the King has come, that we are celebrating Advent, the arrival of our Lord and our Savior, our King, Jesus Christ. And we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew and, and, and focusing on the things that Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew about why He came. So as we celebrate that Jesus has come, it is good for us to meditate and to reflect on the reasons for his arrival. Today, we are going to focus our attention on Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be uh, focusing on verses 17 through to verse 20. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles or your phone or whatever it is you use um, to Matthew chapter 5. And we are going to read from verse 17 through to verse 20, and if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Word of God says this, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Please be seated. I have this clear memory of of being a a young man. In fact, I was a freshman in uh, high school back in my hometown of Columbia, Missouri. Now, when I say a freshman in high school, in Missouri at that time, freshmen did not go to the high school. Freshmen were still in the junior high. In fact, freshmen were the oldest in the junior high. But as a freshman in Missouri, we, were, we had a requirement, a state requirement, to, to have a class and to study government. And we had to take a government test at the end of the, the year or the end of the semester as part of this kind of state-required course. And so it was a state-issued um, kind of standardized test on government. We had a textbook in that class, and one of the interesting things about that textbook was is at the back of the textbook, it had a written-out Constitution of the United States of America. And the reason why I always found this to be so interesting is as you went back to the, the back of the book and as you were looking through or reading or skimming or whatever the Constitution, you would start to notice that there were certain parts of the Constitution that had been marked out. You could still read what was there. You could still see the words, read the words, and and understand it. But there was this very thin blue line that, that went across that struck out certain portions of the Constitution. Now, this was not the work of a rebellious teenager. This was not some freshman of years gone by who decided to rework the Constitution in his own desires and his own opinions. But it was actually the work of the publisher. 
See, along with each marked out section, there would be a footnote explaining how an amendment that had been uh, approved and an amendment that had been voted into the Constitution had annulled whatever particular part of the Constitution that was addressing. The reason I bring this up is because I think a lot of people look at the Bible and think that the Bible does that also. That when we get into the Old Testament or we read something from the Old Testament, that the New Testament or something from Jesus has annulled that and we no longer have to look at it, we no longer have to understand it, we no longer have to study it. A lot of times we think of, of as us as the church as the Old Testament just being that old stuff that no longer applies to us. Some denominations even going to the point where you no longer need to study the Old Testament or anything about the Old Testament and that you can direct all your attention towards the New Testament. In truth, a lot of churches throughout um, the nation and throughout the world tend to ignore the Old Testament. And even good pastors and good churches, we're not speaking ill of any of them, you may look at their, their sermon series throughout the year and realize that anywhere from 70, 80, even 90% of the sermons that are, are given on any given church at any given time are from the New Testament and not the Old. Jesus' words in our passage today remind us of the importance of the Old Testament. And remind us that the Old Testament is something that we need to be thinking about. And indeed, the entire scriptures need to be treasured by the church. As we prepare our hearts for the birth of our Savior, I think it is good for us to consider how his arrival impacts how we read scripture. And reminds us of the, of the need to be people of the word. Let's get into our text a little bit to explain this. As we dive into verse 17, we get this statement that says, I have not come to abolish the law. Now, for us, because we just jumped right into verse 17, this may appear to come out of nowhere. But if you're looking at the text, you realize that this is actually well into a lesson or a sermon that Jesus is giving, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. If you would like to learn more about the Sermon on the Mount, in January, we are doing our January Bible study on this very topic. But Jesus has actually been teaching for a little bit, and he's been giving them the Beatitudes and, and telling them a lot of things. And, and I think when we look at this, and specifically at the Beatitudes, the people who were listening to Jesus were beginning to wonder if Jesus was establishing some sort of new religion. These statements like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who, who are persecuted, all of these type of things was very different from the teachings they were getting in the synagogue from the Pharisees and the scribes. Undoubtedly, the Pharisees themselves may have been around, they may have been hearing it, they weren't his necessarily intended audience, as you can look at Matthew 5 verse 1 and see that his focus was the disciples, but they would have probably been concerned about Jesus' ministry and the idea that he had come to tear down Judaism entirely. Jesus, therefore, informs the disciples that that is not the reason for his coming. He did not come to destroy the law or the prophets or, or the commandments. It was not as though God had told them to do things and then he had changed his mind about those very things. 
Instead, what we see is Jesus affirms the Scriptures and asserts that it is crucial that the Scriptures are kept and that they are taught. This means that the idea that sometimes we hear in our culture today that we need to unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament is wrong and not of of God. We don't get to ignore parts of the Bible, nor do we get to, to just brush off certain teachers' teachings because we decide that they are outdated, that they are confined to a specific culture and a specific context in which they were written, and therefore they do not even need to be reviewed. On the contrary, the Word of God is still very much so relevant for us today, and we should still study and understand what God is saying to us through these passages. What is his heart? What is his intention? We need to understand the culture that they are being written in and why God is saying these things so that we might understand it and and take the principles and apply it to today. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 words it this way when he says, he says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Now, this would have been a, 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 maybe a little bit of a relief and, and even a little bit of confusion for the disciples as they are there and they're listening to this. And he's saying all of these things that seem new and seem different and seem unheard of from what they've been raised to understand and raised to believe. And he says, listen, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to wipe out the commandments. And then he continues on. He says, I have come not to destroy, but to fulfill Jesus gives in our passage today something that that we're going to see multiple times. And if you do some some more study on the Gospel of Matthew um, on your own in in the weeks to come, you'll recognize that there is a kind of formula that Jesus goes through when he's talking about it, where he says, I didn't come to do this, but I did come to do that. And there's a reason why he does that, because as is with anybody, he's trying to teach and he's trying to communicate. And he knows that people are getting thoughts and opinions about who he is and what he's there to do and what he's teaching that isn't quite right. And so he says, listen, you know, I almost saying like, I know you think I'm here to wipe out Judaism. That's not why I'm here. I didn't come to abolish it. He goes, but let me tell you why I did come, and that was to fulfill it. Jesus states that he has come to fulfill the Scriptures. And see, this is where it gets interesting. Because we have to wrestle with what that means. In the Bible, when we see this word to fulfill, it often is connected to two different kinds of definitions. The first idea of fulfill is to completely communicate, to kind of bring something into the fullness of understanding. In fact, the word in the Greek that is used here is is not that we translate fulfill is actually from the word to complete. So he's saying, he's saying, I did not come to abolish the law, but to complete it, to completely communicate it, to make it so it can be completely understood so that, that there is a fullness of understanding here. But there's another definition. And not only is that idea of to completely communicate the word and the law and the prophets, but also to bring to completion, to get it to its desired end and its desired goal, to take what has been said and bring it to its final form. And make no mistake, 
as we go through the Gospels and as we go through the New Testament and even in the church age that we live in today, God is doing both. First, he is bringing about a fuller and more dynamic understanding of the law of God. I find this so interesting, and it just says a little bit about how things can, can get off track. Is Jesus has been going through and he's saying, blessed are these people, blessed are these people. And, and he talks about being a light on the hill and, and, and about being the salt of the earth. And he's saying all these things. And the people in Jesus' day are saying, this is completely new. But what Jesus is saying is, no, this has always been there. And he's telling the, the, the nation of Israel, he's saying, listen. You were always supposed to be the salt of the earth. You were always supposed to be the city on the hill, the lamp on the light light stand. You were always supposed to understand this, but somewhere things got a little off. And I'm bringing you back into the right teaching. But then it even goes beyond that. This idea of bringing a fuller and more dynamic understanding of the word of God, we can see that in the following verses. Verse 21 through 48, you'll notice a a, a kind of recurring theme in every new topic that he introduces. He says, you have heard it said, and that is a a kind of way of saying like, this is what's being taught. This is what's being taught in the synagogues. This is what's being taught in the homes. These are the traditions that you have grown up with. But I say to you. In fact, throughout the Gospels and all of the New Testament, we see God giving the people a fuller picture of what obedience to God looks like. And he even goes, and as you look through all of this, he takes it to a a deeper place and 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 a more clear understanding of it. That it's not just about outward actions, but it's about attention. It's about doing it consistently. It's about even going above and beyond for God's namesake and for his glory. However, also, we see how God is, is, in fact, Jesus is, in fact, the fulfillment of Scripture. A lot of times we may look at even everything I've said up to this point and, and we say, listen, we need, to, we need to keep the Old Testament. We need to li- read the Old Testament. We need to study of the Old Testament. We need to be obedient to the Old Testament. And then there's always going to be that person that says, well, what about shellfish? Why, don't, why, don't, why do we get to eat shellfish? What about bacon? Pastor, I know you like bacon. I can tell you like bacon. bacon. Thanks, James. I'm not alone. You know, what about that? It says not to eat that, but we do. What about this and what about that? Obviously, there are things in the Old Testament that we don't necessarily do, nor do we teach to do. Isn't that what Jesus was talking about, that you need to still teach it and you need to still do it? Not necessarily. See, there's something I want you to understand about this. It's not that Jesus annulled the law. It's not that he said these things are no longer relevant. You don't need to understand them. You don't need to study them. You can just scratch those parts out of your Bible. But what he is saying is that he brought them about to fulfillment. That there are things that you need to understand about these passages. There are things that you need to to get about God and who he is from these passages. And then you need to take it to its completion by recognizing who Christ is and what Christ has done for you. We may look and say we no longer follow rules as it relates to food and to cleanliness, but that is because Jesus has made us clean. We may say that we no longer keep the Sabbath on Saturday from from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, but that is because our rest is found in Christ. 
We may say that we no longer offer blood sacrifices, sheep and turtle doves and and goats and other things, but that is because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Again, it is not because Jesus did away with these things, but because he fulfilled their final purpose. And so when we look at things like the Old Testament, we begin to see that the Old Testament is pointing us to who Christ is. And we recognize that there is a good and perfect and holy God and He wanted a people separate for Himself to bring glory to His name and to make Him known throughout the world. And so He gave them laws about cleanliness and dietary. He gave them the Sabbath, which was different than anybody else. And He did all of these things to show them how they were set apart, that they were holy unto the Lord. But he did all of that, and ultimately we see that in its fullness in Christ Jesus, who came into the world to make a people for God's own glory. The book of Hebrews was a letter written to Jewish Christians in the the first century. And in Hebrews chapter 9, we read this. It says, For the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled Sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh. So he says, listen, all of the blood of goats and and, and bulls and the ashes of of heifers, all of these things are there to, to clean and to sanctify clean people. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It wasn't that the, the, the sacrifices of old were wrong. It wasn't that we don't even need to think about them anymore or, or ponder them or, or, or think about what they meant, but we should recognize that when we think about the old sacrifices and the old things in the Old Testament, we see their fullness and their completion in the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. And where the old blood and, and ashes and whatnot of the old times made cleanse the people for worship, now we are truly and permanently made clean through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And there is no longer a need for animal sacrifice for oxen and sheep and turtle doves because we have been cleaned once and for all through Christ Jesus if indeed your faith is in him. And so Jesus comes, and and he doesn't come to abolish the law. He doesn't come to get rid of it. I heard a statistic not that long ago that said, as you go through the New Testament, that the Old Testament appears an, an unbelievably large amount of times. And that in really, in order to even understand the, the New Testament, you need to know what the Old Testament says. That it's through our knowledge and our ability to, to understand and read and study the Old Testament that we're even able to understand fully the New Testament. And so Christ did not come to abolish and, and do away with and, and annul and, and put void the Old Testament, but rather to, to give us a fuller understanding of who God is and also to bring to completion all that God was doing through the nation of Israel. He says all of these things and and talks about the teaching. And then he, he says this, which I find particularly interesting. He says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not 
enter the kingdom of heaven. When we look at this passage, we need to even go to the verses that, that, that go after it, and we begin to see what Jesus is saying. See, the following verses begin to reveal uh, God's teachings and, and, and what his thought of, of some of the traditions that had been c- created by the, the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus is challenging the people to, to look past the letter of the law and to recognize the spirit or the intention of the law. If we look from verse 21 all the way down to, to well into the, the end of the chapter, we begin to see all of these different things that he's saying, specifically that we are called to love earnestly, to give generously, to show integrity in all things and in all situations, and even to forgive quickly those who have sinned against us and to seek forgiveness against those that we have sinned against. In fact, as we go all the way to the end of this passage, we can go to verse 48. And I want to show you the level of righteousness that he is talking about in verse 20. Verse 48, we read this from Jesus. He says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So wait a second. Let's think about this for a moment. He says, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, that you will not enter into the kingdom of God. And then ultimately he comes to the conclusion. What I mean by that is you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Our righteousness must be perfect without flaw in order for it to be complete and able to enter into the kingdom of God. And with that in mind, we have a problem because i don't know about every person in this room but i got a pretty good idea we are not perfect i can say with a painful amount of confidence i am not perfect and even as I look through these passages, it says, I, you know, you have heard it say, um, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you that that uh, and that if you do, you could be liable within the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says of his brother, you good for nothing, you shall be guilty before the superior court. And whoever says you fool, you should be guilty enough even to go into the fire, the fiery hell. And immediately on the first thing Jesus says, I'm out. Because I've been angry before. I've gotten extremely angry with people before. And in these statements, these, these you fool, you good for nothing. Have I thought things like that, said things similar to that? Absolutely. Absolutely I have. Have I been angry with people? You bet. Have I lost my temper? Ask my kids. Have I said things that hurt people? And I knew they would hurt people? Absolutely. One of the things about being married is sometimes it really reveals just how sinful of a person you are. Because now you've got a person living in your house that if you're fighting, you can't get always get away from. And you know what hurts them. You know what makes them uncomfortable. You know what what makes them vulnerable. You know the things that they're insecure about. And you just can file that away. And one day, in our exhaustion, or our anger, or our frustration, 
We'll bring that out. And sometimes we will say the meanest thing we can say to the person that we say we love the most. And maybe that's just me. Because I know I've done that. And I've failed. Jesus tells me that my righteousness needs to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He tells me that if I want to enter into the kingdom of God, that I must be perfect. And I'm not. And I haven't been for a long, long, long time. And I believe the disciples started to pick up on the standard that Jesus was presenting to them. And the standard that really still exists. See, in Matthew 19, verse 25, after their interaction with the rich young ruler, the disciples say this. It says, when the disciples heard this, they were astonished and they said, then who can be saved? And see, I recognize, and I hope, I hope you can too, I recognize that if I want to be saved, if I want to be right with God, but I'm the one that does the saving, that I'm the one that does the righteousness, that I'm the one that that makes me in a good relationship with God. Not only have I already failed, but I will continue to fail God. And I think the disciples recognize this as well. They're seeing the standard that Jesus has been communicating to them for chapters and chapters, for days and days, weeks and weeks. And finally they come in this astonishment and frustration saying, then who can do it? Who? Who can get to heaven on their own? Who can have righteousness that, that, that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Who can be perfect like our heavenly Father is perfect? Who can be saved? And Jesus answers in this way in verse 26. With people it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We ask the question, Jesus tells us, listen, we do not, I do not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, that you need to be obedient to the law, that you need to, to surpass that of the, the scribes and the Pharisees, that you need to be perfect, and then you recognize that you're on. Who can be perfect? And the answer is right in front of them. Who can be perfect? No one but God alone. And behold, He stands before you in the flesh. There was only one way that the righteousness of anyone could surpass that of the Pharisees and scribes. There was only one way that we and that they could be perfectly righteous. And that only way was by having righteousness applied to us. It could not be our righteousness because we don't have it. We can't offer to God something that we do not have. And if we were hoping in our own righteousness, if we were hoping that we could be good enough, that we could put money in the tithe box, that we could go to church, that we could dress nice and use nice words and give gifts to kids at Christmas, and we could do all of good th- those good things, and that would make us right with God, we would have to ultimately concede that we did not arrive. No. We needed to be saved. And in order to be saved, that means that 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 salvation has to come from someone else. It's the recognition that we are helpless and we can't do it ourselves, but rather we need someone to come in and save us from our current situation, save us from our own sin and our own failure. We needed something else to apply that righteousness on our behalf. 
And that is exactly what happened when Jesus came. This is exactly what Jesus did. And this is exactly what Jesus is hoping that they will begin to understand. They needed a righteousness that was not their own. They needed a righteousness that came from someone who was righteous, who was willing to give up their righteousness so that other people might have that righteousness. That is the righteousness that we read about in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And Paul says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he fulfilled it by following the law perfectly. As we see from our passage in, first, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, it was him who knew no sin. See, Jesus had never sinned. He walked with the Father perfectly. In fact, it even says when Jesus was about to be baptized by John the Baptist, this is a couple chapters earlier in Matthew, um, that John the Baptist has Jesus come to him and he says, hey, you should be baptizing me. You're the sinless one. And even John the Baptist had to say, I'm the sinner. You're the sinless one. Why am I baptizing you? And Jesus' answer was per- permitted at this time to fulfill all righteousness. See, Jesus knew that every act he did, everything that he was accomplishing, everything he said, every attitude, everything that he did had to be aligned with his father in heaven. And he came to this world and he did that perfectly. Indeed, Jesus' righteousness surpassed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus' righteousness was perfect as his father is perfect. And then Jesus laid down his perfection to die the death of a sinner. And in doing so, he took our sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that he might give the righteousness that he had accomplished to those who would place their trust in him. This is what it means to be the fulfillment of the law. This is what it means when he says, I did not come to abolish it, but to bring it to its completion, is that Jesus was coming and he was going to accomplish all that the law required, not so that he could keep it for himself, but so that he could give it away to them and to you that you could be saved from your sins. That you could be saved from from the, the ways that we fail God, not only in the past, but even today and even into the future, that you need only place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in fulfilling it, he made a way for you to be saved. As we celebrate the coming of our Christ, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of our Savior. We celebrate that he is the fulfillment of the law. And as the fulfillment of the law, he was the only worthy sacrifice for our sin. 
If you are with us today and you recognize the sin in your life, that you recognize that you have sinned against God, that you have departed from God's design and his plan and, and, and his perfect creation um, before the fall, and that you find yourself, if you are with us today and you are in a place of brokenness, where you recognize that you are weary, that you are out of place, that you are out of touch, and that you are far from God, we offer this to you today. See, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart that, that uh, Christ was raised from the dead and you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. And we invite you to do that today, to place your hope and trust in Jesus, to believe that Jesus really was the Christ, that he was God in the flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he fulfilled the law, and then he rose from the grave three days later. We invite you to believe that, and then we invite you to surrender yourself, making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. To allow Jesus to be in charge. And when you do that, his righteousness is applied to you. You receive the Holy Spirit and you are saved. If that is what you would like to do today, I'm going to be standing up front. You can come and talk with me, but if you came with someone else here today and you'd like to have that conversation with them, I'm good with that. But I would challenge you today, do not leave today. Do not end this day with still questions and doubts in your mind. Talk to somebody about what it means to make Christ your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for today. God, we praise you for the opportunity to Get into your, Lord, into your word, Lord. We praise you that you have not just given us pieces of scripture, but you have given the whole word to us, the new and the old, so that we might know you, that we might know that you are righteous and you are good, that you are gracious and you are just, that God, you are all of these things at the same time. And that God, because of your righteousness and your justice, Lord, you sent your one and only son so that he could be the fulfillment of the law, so that you could still be just and righteous, but then your grace could come through his sacrifice. Lord, we recognize the standard that even Jesus in the New Testament sets up. And Lord, we recognize that not a single soul in this room lives up to that standard. And God, that every single one of us in this room needs the sacrifice that Jesus made. We need the righteousness that can only come from him. And God, I pray today that every single person in this room would believe, would believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he is, that he was that the spotless lamb, that he was the perfect sacrifice for sin because he who knew no sin became sin for us. Lord, I pray that they would believe that he died on the cross for their sins, that he rose from the grave three days later. And God, I pray that they would make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life and follow him until the end of their days. God, we ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.